Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Look, y'all know we harp on it a lot. You need a good pair of binos. Yeah, I never hunted with binos until I was almost into my 20s. I never did it when I was a teenager or anything like that. Or when I was a kid, we never had binos. And when I bought my first pair of Vortex binos, the first binos I ever purchased back in like 2015, it immediately made a huge difference for me, especially in the turkey woods. So give yourself the advantage of a good pair of binos this spring, whether you're looking for more of like an entry-level bino like the Vortex Diamondbacks or something really, really nice like the Razors. Vortex is going to have something for you. And hey, don't pay full price for it. Use our discount code at eurooptic.com. Use the code SGN10 to get a discount on any Vortex optics that you want to order. Again, that's eurooptic.com, code SGN10 to go get a discount on any Vortex product you order. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. It's a little bit different today. We're actually sitting here uh, at the cabin on a little hunting trip. We've got a room full of guys around us. So, uh, real quick, I want everybody to introduce themselves, starting with old Mike. The Dillon. Well, who's the Dillon? <laughs> Michael Pike. There you go. Shane Parker. Christopher Leppert. Greg Mayhair. Talon Neal. There you go. Awesome. Uh, unfortunately, Andrew is not up here. Uh, he kind of, you know... 
So he has some stuff come up, so he, he can't be here on this episode, or on, really on the hunt. I think he might come up a little later in the week, but uh, we're going to do a, kind of a little hunt recap. It's been a fun time uh, hunting some January rut action. Chris came all the well, I say Chris, that's wired. Chris came all the way down from Ohio. Um, by the way, just real quick, um, what's the biggest difference between Alabama deer and Ohio deer when it comes to size? <laughs> There's a lot of differences. Uh, yeah, our, our deer significantly bigger up there but um it's it's been a pretty pretty humbling experience to come down here so let me ask you this think of like a, a 140 back home and the body size maybe a, you know three and a half four and a half year old deer maybe a five and a half year old deer how big that is as a 140 now imagine an alabama buck about 165 pounds to maybe 180 being the same size what that would look like that would be cr- that thing would look like a king with a crown that would be insane to see a deer of that size with that kind of rack. Well, not to jump too far ahead, but we'll talk about what we have and have not seen on this hunt so far. <laughs> uh, real quick, also, so Greg, you came in from South Carolina, so you made a little haul also with uh, Meadow Creek Mounts. So, uh, by the way, um, we're going to, maybe I don't know, we might have to do some a turkey episode in the spring. i got to play my turkey episodes out anyways and uh, talk some traveling hunting from, good. A, from another southerner. Uh, you also just got off a, uh, a pretty cool little elk hunt. You had yep. a little success over, it was Colorado, right? Yep, that's right. Opening uh, day. Opening day. Public land. Shot a big one. Yeah, shot an absolute giant. That's, that's the whole story, but no. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. quick enough. Uh, did you say, you, were you in a tree stand, by the way? No. No? That was when I was telling you the, uh, the other story okay. about the bear. Gotcha. Yep. Well, that was a year before, though. Colorado's uh, some. Actually, the only other person in here who's been to Colorado actually hunted was Chris, right? Yeah. How how that trip go compared to? It sucked. It's called hiking for seven hundred dollars. It sucks the first few years. <laughs> well, it doesn't suck. It, 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 it never sucks to be out west. But I, no, it, it really doesn't. I, I shouldn't even say that. But years. I the first year I went, I saw so. All the people out west, I, I'm running into this. All the locals t- give me this advice, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, the gospel of the Lord." So they're they're all telling me I got to be like eight miles in and don't even look at a meadow. The elk will not be in the meadow. I go two and a half miles in, and they're laying in the meadow, fifty yards off of the main hiking trail near a lake where everybody goes, is a gigantic cow and her three calves. Those are the elk that I've seen in two trips. I've never seen or heard a bull. I've hiked up and down and across mountains, and I'm like four foot five, basically. So it's not easy to do that, to get over the deadfall. And, and that's probably like you talk about going out west, which you've, you've been, and I don't know what your experience was like, but deadfall is uh, it's insane. Oh, my God. I... I packed in by myself and found that there was no water in the canyon where I was. You know, I dropped all my elevation. Oh, there's water down here. No, there's not. So then I spent all day long getting back up to the top. And it was literally like the side of the mountain is probably like a 50 degree angle. It is blanketed in dead pine needles. And you are stepping over pine trees, left lodgepole pines left and right. It's Every step takes a lot more energy. It was terrible. That <laughs> and again, so don't being, go, guys. So there's more over the counter tax with the rest of us, right? Being a short guy is not easy out west. 
Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, also, again, kind of doing a recap, we're, we're about to talk about this river bottom hunt that we've been doing here for the last few days. Uh, Talon, you've had a pretty good season. How many bucks have you killed, by the way? Two. Two in Alabama? Yep. Okay, awesome. Also, Michael Pike here, tagged out, so you're, you know... You're, you're here for moral support, is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, more or less. More or less. I don't know what you, you've had success on this hunt before, and you know you're not giving us any hot tips. So <laughs> I'm trying to put you on spot, so nobody <laughs> wants to go. Well, listen, you know, me and Seth might pick you up on it. Uh, we're, we, we might, I don't know, we might go somewhere else though. We're trying to figure out what we're going to be doing. Uh, and then uh, Shane, since the last time you've been on, I think last time you were on was that the Georgia hunt or Georgia hunt. Yeah. Okay, so a lot of things have progressed since then. Yeah. Uh, talk. Well, talk to me real just real briefly. The like when it came into the season, and everything, and we've had a lot of time that's kind of passed since the last time you came on. Uh, by the way, we had really good feedback from the episode we did in Georgia, talking about the whole thermals and thermal hubs and everything. You got to see how many questions we had written in about oh. when he says a west facing thermal hub. Thermal hub. <laughs> how was that again? Like, how does that? Yeah. How is that faced? Um, and uh, just everything else is it it pretty interesting. But actually, I think we had four or five listener success stories come from that episode, oh, wow. which, nice. which is yeah, kind of cool. Nice. So, guys, actually took what you said, yeah. applied it, and you know had some success. Awesome. I did and did not have any success. So, yeah. shame on you, Shane. Shame on me. <laughs> Got to stop giving information. <laughs> But uh, anyways, you've had a pretty crazy fall, and we'll probably do a little bit more of an update maybe with you at another time because I want to talk to you about some postseason scouting because that's something I want to try to maybe focus on a little bit this year and and learn some areas that maybe had a little success in but want to kind of expand, you know, some more knowledge and everything else. Um, So anyway, and then, yeah, Michael Bike, you just tagged out, man, just quick and easy. Because you haven't been on – you haven't been on since – actually, no, you were – I was on the – so the, you, camp, the the campground, the campground. So that was really yeah. last episode. It just yeah. came out like sometime in October. And he finished hunting like a week later. <laughs> yeah, I killed everything like in that little span. You know? Yeah, there was. Hey, a, I'm just glad uh, I recovered on yeah. all of them. That's well, yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah. And, and, well, and uh, also, he's giving me. So we started <laughs> off the season. He's trying to outdo me with the scouting, and I think he was pretty successful. Uh, now he's trying to outdo my my shooting skills too. So yeah. like, I'm gonna be number two. Like. I keep missing, <laughs> but I mean, you know, you know, what is the old saying? You you miss one hundred percent of the shots you there don't you take, go. so yeah. you might as well just. I'm just trying to keep know. up with them. <laughs> hey, I'm right there with you, Talon. God, Talon's like, just let me follow y'all with a gun. Yeah, I gotta have Shane take an off day so I can get more steps than him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've quit. I like I I didn't I didn't walk any yesterday, so. You should you should be good. That's when when he was saying that about steps, I was like I was thinking, so my twelve thousand would be like your thirty thousand. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's definitely visible when I'm with any other human being in the woods. Yeah. Yeah, I would have to go back to the truck two or three times to get you. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be, Dang, I'd be Chris, out. You gonna take that? Hey. Hey, you remember he's an Alabama fan too. Yeah. Roll time. Oh, oh that's yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> How are the Alabamians doing? Go yeah. <laughs> How's those elephants faring? <laughs> I'm going to have like 30,000 people ready to kill me. That's a- yeah, that's pretty accurate. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, well, yeah, Shane, it's been, it's been an interesting season. But the cool thing is we're – all these other people, kind of like Chris. Well, I guess y'all still have quite a bit of season left because Ohio goes for a long time. But a lot, yeah. a lot of people, if you're in the Midwest, season's kind of 
it's it's it's, it's dwindling way yeah, down it's for dwindling almost if not, everybody. Yeah, if not, you know, coming to a conclusion here. Uh, us in Alabama, and some guys in Mississippi, Arkansas, Georgia closes in like a week or so, but uh, we still have a lot of season left, which is kind of cool. And then also like the rut, which goes into uh, kind of a factor for. Where we're hunting and hunting, we decided to do this big deer camp, uh, hunting big river bottom, um, and just, you know, bounce around from different pieces of public or really to bounce around from the piece of public and, uh, and see what we can get into. And Chris, you got, well, everybody here got invited to come down. Well, Talon, you were, I think you were already coming, but we had, you know, this whole group put together and Jacob Emery was here. He left a little early, so he wasn't able to join us on the podcast. Um, but it's been a very mixed bag of, uh, of, um, observations and opportunities could we say you, you can just say it you can say it go ahead <laughs> so Yan- uh, yankee boy came down and got his butt whipped it's all right <laughs> well you know i'll let you say it then i mean you already did but it's uh it, it's interesting because the thing is um the south is something very interesting because just the habitat diversity and just the difference of the woods and chris this is what i want to ask you before you came down here I'm sure you already had a mind, like in your mind, what these, you know, what the river bottom would look like, what the terrain, the habitat would look like. How similar or how off was your imagination of what this was actually going to look like? Significantly off in multiple ways. Um, so where I was yesterday, I didn't expect it to be so dry, and yet have so many little waterways in it. I thought it would be feast or famine with either. You know, I, I didn't think I'd be like. Oh, dry, crunchy leaves and hard ground. And then all of a sudden, here's another ditch I got across full of water. So, um, and then, you know, I've said this a thousand times since I've been here, but I can't get over the mud. Um, I knew it, but you don't know it until you go out there and battle it. My first night trying to get my kayak back into the water took like probably 30 minutes just trying to get it into the water because the water's that deep and there's this much mud or more <laughs> and I'm just shoving it into the mud and it's creating like a, a suction effect like when you get your boot down in there. And so now I can't get the damn thing back out. And I'm like, <laughs> all right, uh, I'm going to have to text them and let them know I'm going to be a little longer. But um, yeah, the mud was pretty overwhelming and just it's – Completely different down here, man. So you also got to experience, I think, y'all don't have a Chinese privet up in Ohio, no, do you? No. What's that like? We have, we have. so I will say we have something pretty similar, um, which is the autumn olive. Mm-hmm. But the autumn olive is, a, in my opinion, a little tougher to get through because it hangs lower and there's like little thorns and stuff on it. Um, the privet's a little easier to get through, but it grows thick. It is a... Like when you told me there's a wall, it's a wall. Uh, couldn't get over that. Never, never seen that in my life. So creates a hard edge, though. Yeah, it does. That it does. Which brings into where I want to get Greg into this conversation because uh, Greg, you hunted Alabama last year. Yep. Hun- hunted the same river bottom. Yep. Um, this year, from what you told me, it's complete 180 yeah, for you when it comes I, to opportunity and everything. Yeah, I was around for about three days last year, and I'm not a ground guy, and I never got in a tree. Um, scouted around a good bit, found a little bit of sign, but this year has been completely different. Um, just a little bit different area, a little bit different habitat, hunting kind of real close to the edge of the privet and having seen a lot of – seen. I've seen three shooters, so 
Got one more morning, so hopefully I'll get one in the morning. Which kind of brings in the uh, point I was going to bring up with the the privet. Explain, like, when it comes to, like, the sign. Like, what did you see specifically when you went into this area that, like, you didn't see last time that was, like, so impressive? Like, hey, I've got to stay here. Because the thing is, you're probably going to kill – well, you climbed one tree. I don't know how many times. That tree might die. I climbed that tree about four (laughs) times. But I've hunted five different trees in that one – in that one area and if i would have been in the one that i was in this morning uh all week then i would have already shot two of them so they've both walked right by it but once they get by there they go different ways so that's kind of a honing in on them hopefully but that area that area is is a privet thicket that's got quite a bit of sign around it right yep so i'm just curious because you found something that i've kind of found but not to that um extent what sign did you see that actually was like, hey, I'm going to hone in on this? All right, so the first morning, uh, well, the first day I got here, I scouted the afternoon and just found a, a lot of rubs at the back of a, a kind of an open area. Uh, the privet was kind of more open in there. Um, you could not, you can maybe see 50 yards on the ground. When you climb up, you can see 150 yards in, in two directions, and then you can see a wall of privet. So I climbed there the first day because when I saw all these rubs in this area, I just tiptoed tiptoed out of there um got in there that next morning just saw a few does and then i just pushed in further so really what i'm i'm kind of in a pinch point where it's real thick privet and there's more rubs trails scrapes um not many of the scrapes are being worked right now but um the few that are are right there in that one little one little pinch point where i've climbed basically three and a half days i've hunted there so talk to me about that first encounter with that first shooter and like how that played out yeah so so i was sitting there and i see a doe coming she's going to come right through the pinch point and she's probably 50 yards at this point and she just kind of disappears behind a tree so i just watch her and she doesn't move like 10 yards in about 10 minutes and i'm kind of wondering what's going on over there so she she ends up going on the edge of the swamp, kind of walking away from me. Well, then I see the buck just standing about 15 yards, just kind of staring at her, and she still is barely moving. So I'm I'm standing up at this point once I see the buck and realize it's a shooter. And he, he just looks at her, and he'll kind of look around. He doesn't really move. Well, I start hearing water, walk, and I'm like, why is she walking through the water? There's this good dry land, but these deer do not care. Six, eight, ten inches of water might as well be dry ground. So, um you know, even though most of the signs are out there crossing, if you go to the edge of the water, they're crossing there just as much. So they came, they went through the privet at 40 yards. I was drawn back, and they just um, wouldn't stop. And it, that's the thick privet that I can literally at 10 yards in this one area, I can't even shoot. So it's kind of open around it, and there's a few trails that I can shoot. But where they went through was 40 yards. That's when they kind of – he kind of started to push her a little bit, but – it seemed like it was locked down, like it was about to happen, even though I haven't really seen much other rutting activity as far as chasing or anything. But that one just seemed like seemed like it was about they were going to go somewhere and he was just going to lock her down out on kind of like a little point he could lock her down on in the open around it with some thick privet. So I think that's what happened. I sat there all day with no food. Yeah, I know. That's, that's yeah. what I wanted to kind of get to. So you, yeah. you decided to stick out. And I remember that morning because we woke up uh, and uh, from from the camp and – Roll it out. I'll make my sandwiches. Yeah. Like, man, I'm, I'm gonna have my food in, in the boat. I'll, 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 no, I'll come back to the yeah. truck, yeah, and uh, and get my food and all yeah. that kind of stuff. And you know, just happened. You getting some pretty good activity. And next thing you know, he's starving afterwards. Yeah, but I mean, when when the the area they went to, like, I just knew they were gonna come back by because it was kind of. I didn't think they were going to keep going. They might have stayed out there all day. You know, like I said, I could only see about forty yards the direction they went. Um, but yeah, I sat there and. 
I was pretty hungry by the time we got back together that night because it was just us that night. Yeah. No one else was here. Yeah. So, so you know, it, that's that's kind of interesting. But the, this can kind of come into play as we're talking a little bit more about the hunt and everything is, you know, you kind of stuck with this spot and yep. got other observations on other shooters in the same, the same really, to be honest, a really small area right. that's just all this activity. And it's like, you know, I wasn't terribly far from you. Right. And didn't see anything for two days. I saw a spike. And then Talon shows well, luckily up. Luckily, he went this morning. I know. That's so. what I'm saying. It shows up and, you know, had a pretty good encounter with Talon. Yeah. What, what, what was the situation? Because originally, you were going to go to a different area, right? Yeah, I was going to go to that one spot you are telling me about. And then he's like, you want to go for a boat ride? I'm like, might as well. <laughs> yeah. And so, I'm sure he says something about the area, but it kind of went through one ear out the other. <laughs> and then I, was, I dropped me off on the bank, and I was looking at the map, and I was like, okay, I ain't got time to scout. I want to be sit down. So on the map, I can see there's a good funnel connecting two pieces. And I was like, okay, I'll go there. That'll be my best chance not scouting. And when I got in there, it's probably 15, 16, maybe 30 minutes after I sat down. I had a little basket rack buck work beside me to my right, probably 10 yards from me. And then nothing else till about 7, 7.15. Then I caught a Big six working along, going to that point, probably 20 yards from me. But he's in a bunch of that thick privet. Mm -hmm. And as dim as it was, I couldn't pick out any shooting lanes in there. So I was like, okay, I'll grunt at him. He'll come along this funnel and stay in cover, get downwind of me, and I'll have a shot. Well, he did the complete opposite of what I thought. And he went in the green field, you know, 100 yards out, got my win and took off. But, yeah, it was a learning experience. But yeah. It, it also, did you scout around much after that? I did afterwards. Yeah. So yeah. that area when I was in there, there's tons of tracks, trails, and there's a, there's some rubs in there. But like all the rubs I found, it's nothing like Greg where you're at, where it's just a lot of fresh sign. It's like a lot of signs seemed like it had been made, you know, two weeks ago, probably three weeks ago. Yeah, um, and uh, where that buck was headed, it was actually a betting point. But when I grunted at him, that got his interest to come out see what was going on but there's a lot of little like early season little points out there when the crops are up or think they're hanging out up yeah absolutely so um yeah just when, when i didn't get any of y'all's messages by the way this morning for whatever reason and all of a sudden they all popped up and i'm like how does jacob through. never have service out of everybody i don't know <laughs> but like it also yeah. all, all, how convenient i just i just like leaned out of the tree <laughs> away from the tree because me and seth were sky high and a, and a giant red oak you know not in the best cover and Anyways, uh, I get all these messages, and I saw where you like, hey, saw a buck. And I didn't realize what time it was, so I thought it was like had just – I thought these messages just came through. I'm like, oh, man, they're moving. It's 930 in the morning. <laughs> and, no, and then I'm like – like, then, then I look at the date and look at the times. I'm like, crap, that was at, you know, 6, you know, 25 and 715. I'm like, yeah. okay. So well. he was on the ground, and he was already seeing – he had already seen a deer before I got settled into the tree, and I was up yeah. before I could shoot, but he had already seen one. Mm. So, yeah, very good morning. Can you pass some luck over here, like rub my hat or something? Maybe maybe we'll have that opportunity tomorrow. Um, and then, Chris, t t t give me a little rundown from, like, you know, on, on your side of stuff. Because I'm trying to get to the guys who's been hunting for a couple of days. Because, Shane, you just got here today? Yeah. And, Pike, you came in yesterday. But, uh, Chris, what about you? Um, well, I put in five miles yesterday. And I saw a deer about 200 yards away. Um, got into this area where there was a lot of 
blowdowns, super thick cover, uh, lots of water along it. And I thought, man, this is going to be the spot. And I did find a lot of buck sign in there. But, you know, anybody who's ever tried to find a buck in November in the Midwest or, you know, down here now, you generally want to go looking for the does. So I thought, well, I'm going to keep going and try to look for some of these privet thickets that you guys talk about or something. And um, I found some privet, but I don't think I would classify it as a, a thicket so much as like a wall uh, bordering some private where I felt like the deer would filter off and come in and feed. And I did find one uh, like nut all, I guess, that little tiny acorn dude. Um, there was some decent feed sign under it, but uh, never did. Never did have a deer come in last night. Uh, and then this evening, um, got on the edge of a swamp, had an island across uh, with a lot of, a lot of like uh, tall native brows, um, super thick island. And uh, it was just in, you know, kind of like what he said, like this little funnel where I felt like deer would filter into and again, found oaks with better feed sign actually i thought man i better sit here and no deer so i don't really know what i'm doing down here so let me uh, uh and this is kind of a general question for everybody and kind of take it you know as y'all want but like chris what was like your game plan going into it like what were you like expecting because i mean you kind of looked at some maps but like what were you like what do you what have you been trying to look for and like what are you finding but like what's not paying off because what i want to try to do with like part of this episode is like some like lessons learned because i've learned some stuff too of like what not to do (laughs) so well i think the deer are spread out a lot more here than they are at home for sure um i didn't think i'd walk anywhere near that far and not find deer basically like i've seen some while walking around but one each time like not jumping five i'm not jumping does i'm jumping doe so um i honestly just expected there to be a lot more deer um now talking to andrew and some other people seems like it's pretty pockety here where like when you're in them you're really in them and when you're not kind of like elk hunting maybe but um it's just very humbling i guess because back home I would not, it would be so easy to get on deer. Um, you, you could, you could walk almost anywhere and jump up deer at home. So it's, it's completely different, but there's also not as much habitat at home. Like there's a lot of places a deer can go here. So I'll say this, you just pumped up a lot of Southern boys egos. by saying Probably, that. <laughs> probably. It's, hey, like, you, yes, you sir, let's go to the Midwest, is, man. It's, it's no, not, we already know. It's not easy. <laughs> um, and then, uh, I mean, Greg, what were you originally looking for? I mean, of course, you know, you, you kind of found this one spot, but, yep. like, what were you trying to look for? Because you, you scouted some other pieces, too, before you kind of settled on this one spot. But, like, what were you trying to find in order to feel confident? Yeah, so, I mean, I kind of knew what the area looked like, you know, um, Unfortunately, Chris didn't. He didn't have any idea what it was going to look like when he got here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I hunted the same sort of area last year. Um, so, you know, just looking for thick, just looking for buck sign, really. Um, that's pretty much it. The, there's plenty of food everywhere. Um, like, 
last week on the on the podcast was it uh was it Jake uh, um what was the guy from North Carolina uh Jacob Lyshen yeah he was talking about how you know the deer in the southeast you know they don't have to worry about food at all so you know look this time of year looking for the thick cover is is uh is where it's at so yeah and I'll say this I, going into this hunt I was thinking the same thing like thick cover because you know I've hunted around here before at different times of the year um but you know, I knew thick cover was going to play a factor, but what I was going into, and this is what kind of bit me in the butt, I was trying to focus on what I thought was pretty good rut funnels, kind of pinched down with water and stuff like with, you know, yeah. with the river and everything. Um, and it just has not paid off. Yeah. Uh, you know, th there's some areas that like we've gotten to good sign. And the problem is, and this is something I've realized because this is the second time I've hunted river bottoms this year. I hunted Arkansas river bottoms and then now, you know, here in Alabama, some river bottoms. And it's like going back and forth between the two. One thing I've realized is like in those river bottoms, even if there's no rain, the ground is typically so soft. Oh, yeah. You see tracks really well, which is kind of deceptive of how many deer are coming through an area and how often they are. Because you're like, you know, I found some tracks actually where Talon went, or some trails where Talon went. And I'm like, this is incredible. Like, I, I told a couple of you guys, like, a blind guy could follow this trail because it's three, looks three feet wide and walled out. But that could be four does coming through there, you know, once a day. And the ground's so soft after four or five days, it looks like that. Yep. Yep. Uh, instead of there being 50 deer there and a bunch of bucks. Um, so I think that's one thing I kind of took for granted where I was like stopping at some of that sign instead of like pushing further and pushing further and some of that stuff, which we still have a few days left. But um, that's something I feel like kind of bit me in the butt the first three or four days on this trip is like I'd find some of that, maybe find some rubs closer to it. And I'm like, okay, this is good enough. And it wasn't like maybe you have an encounter you know, like a couple sits now, haven't seen yeah. a deer. Um, and it's like, well, they're coming through at some point. It might be 2 o'clock in the morning. But, you know, it's not where they're at right here, right now. And uh, that, that's been like a really big takeaway I've seen. Because, like, typically in, like, hill country, it's like you don't find a ton of tracks, depending on, like, where you're at. Like, maybe a creek cross or something like that. Um, and then after, like, a fresh rain, uh, just because, you know, how the soil types are typically. But um, it's like down the river bottoms, it's like it's cool to see a track. But it's also one of those things that's like you need to take it with a grain of salt of like yeah. where that deer is coming from, where is he going? Is it actually are you finding a track in the area that first off, can you backtrack or can you follow where he went? And is it in like a place that more than likely you're actually gonna see a buck during daylight? Um and and all these other factors. But on the flip side, Shane, you, you sent us a text message today. You were cutting some tracks. Yeah. And found something pretty interesting at the end of the track. So Walk us through that with the the scouting aspect. I'm, I'm interested in that story, but also like your game plan afterwards. Yeah, I mean, initially when I got here, I just went to one specific area that I'd kind of pinned, and I immediately cut a big buck track that was really fresh. Like I could tell it's fresh, and when it petered out, that's where the buck expired, and I found basically cart tracks that led right to where the where they had picked him up at. So well, in a little more detail, I think you put in the message. It looked like at one point he jumped, or did yeah, I mean he, yeah, you could tell where he'd stopped in the mud, and right then he bolted. Like you could see, he bolted, and there were specks of blood, and so he got <laughs> tagged right there. And I didn't follow it anymore. I knew at that point in time, there's no, I'm chasing the ghost here, yeah. and it wasn't very far. I hit the road, and there was a cart track, and they drug him right, pulled him right to the truck and loaded him up so and probably yeah it was probably yesterday the track the mud was still fresh so it was yesterday afternoon when they killed that buck a, a, a interesting situation i yeah. had the same thing happen to me a couple of days ago i went uh walking on uh part of the public 
and uh, hiked way back into the spot. I was doing a loop, and I came upon a, a really good rub line. I'm like, man, it's super fresh rubs. And mm-hmm. I start following this rub line, kind of looking down, looking up, you know, kind of scouting my way back. All of a sudden, I look up. And I'm like, man, those leaves sure look red. And I walk <laughs> over there, and there's a blood spot that's probably three feet wide where someone had deer died. They gutted it right there. It's probably been a couple days old. Mm-hmm. You know, the guts are gone, but all the blood's there. And then I start looking, and you can see the drag marks where the guys mm-hmm. drug it out. Yep. And I'm like, and right, I mean, literally, there's a big rub six feet from where they gutted that deer. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing with this one was I could tell where he was going. He was working a, a scrape line, like along the edge, like just inside the privet, just outside the, like it was like a field, a woodlot, privet on both sides, and he was between the two. And so I was like, well, he was working that, and they killed him yesterday, so that's probably what they're doing. And that's just what I've been looking for since then, is those edges, like those little gaps between the the fields and stuff like that. And one thing you mentioned was you were finding the scrapes he was working, but he wasn't pawing the scrapes, he was just hitting the licking branch. Yeah, he was just just working the licking branches, looks like. yeah. That's what the buck yesterday, um, the second shooter that I saw yesterday, was doing and I even went and looked at the scrape and you could hardly even tell he'd been there he it was only the licking branch so so this is something I've been wanting to ask everybody um and Greg I want to ask you first because you have a ton of experience you were telling me this like you kind of grew up you know you know hunting from a boat and you know boat access getting to spots what is your what do you what if you were to explain river bombs to somebody who doesn't hunt river bobs what is the advantages or in di- disadvantages of like hunting river bottoms and you know boat access and all that kind of stuff yeah so um you mean just specifically for boat access of course you know it's it's quieter all that but being down in the river bottoms to me just seems like you know when you're seeing these huge rubs stuff like that where you get up in the hill i just feel way more confident when i'm in an area like that even though i mean you know the deer can be anywhere you just feel the confidence is what really Helps a lot. So, what's the disadvantages you'd see with like hunting river bobs? Because you hunt well, hill country too. Yeah, well, like what, like you were saying, easy to see sign. You might sit somewhere where you think you think is great, and it's really not. When um, if you really know what to look for up in the, I mean, most of the big deer I've ever killed were on feed trees. So I'm, you know, a lot of those were in river <laughs> bottoms or up up in the hills a little bit. But um, just take it's just a different way to read the sign. So. Mm-hmm. Um, Harder, harder to see sometimes, but when you find it, you really know you're in a good spot. Houndstooth Game Call's Dixie Hen Slate was just voted the overall best turkey call by Field and Stream Outdoors, and trust me, it's super easy to run and be extremely dynamic when you're in the turkey woods. Now, we've mentioned a couple of these calls in the past, like the Spur Master and the Success Call in a past episode with both Gary Vines and Lyle Gilbert of Houndstooth Game Calls. And it was funny enough, y'all actually bought every Spur Master call and Success Call they had. Now, pay attention to their website. They're going to have some more come up in stock in the next few days. So when they come available, make sure you get one if you did not purchase one before they sold out last time. Both the Spurmaster and the Success Call are fantastic for hunting high-pressure turkeys, whether you're on a hunting club where you have a lot of other members hunting those same turkeys, or if you're on public land. Again, both of those calls will make you sound a little bit different from everybody else and be a lot more subtle in your calling technique and be able to really help close those distance with those gobblers. So if you want to give Houndstooth Game Calls a try, go to houndstoothgamecalls.com use the promo code SOP24. Again, promo code SOP24 for 15% off houndtoothgamecalls.com. True Lock Chokes has been made in Georgia since 1981. 
and offer you a wide range of chokes, over 2,000 different chokes for all kinds of shooting activities. You might be wondering why you'd want to purchase a True Lock choke, and it's to improve your shotgun performance. Absolutely guaranteed. And as a great example, we have Andrew Maxwell here. And uh, Andrew, you've had some pretty good luck, again, kind of switching out chokes and trying out the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. So, Andrew, what's been your experience so far? Yeah, I've, always, I've used the same choke for several years now. I never really thought much of it, and I got the True Lock choke in. I patterned my gun with the first choke at... Uh, 30 and 50, and then I switched to the true lock and changed from 30 to 50. And the 50 yard pattern on my gun with the true lock choke is unbelievable. Like everybody's jaws were dropping. Like when I, we were out there with Mike and Sam, we were all super impressed. I mean, it's throwing a better pattern at 50 now than it was throwing at 40 before my old choke. And Andrew, you're shooting the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. It's a great option. Same chokes I have in my shotgun. So guys, if you want to give True Lock a shot this spring, you can head over to truelockchokes.com. That's T-R-U-L-O-C-K-chokes.com. You can also use the promo code SOUTHERN at checkout at truelockchokes.com and save 10% on your order. Again, give True Lock a shot this spring, especially if you're not happy with the performance of your shotgun, and shoot with a more deadly pattern with True Lock. Now, Talon, I want to ask you the same question, too, but again, your first set, you see a shooter, so you, you might not have a lot of disadvantages at this point, but do you have much other experience hunting river bottoms before? No, this was my second time up here. I really, honestly, second time river bottom, but I, the advantages I say with it is, you know, you can find a buck a lot easier because, like, where I usually hunt, you don't find a buck track. You got to keep finding until you find that next rub or you find that next trail. Yeah. Versus here, I can be like, go to like the field and be like, there's a buck track, buck in the area. Let's find that trail where he's in and out. And that's that's been really, it's made it a lot easier and gave gives you confidence. Like, yeah, I know he's here. Yeah, I know he's here now because there's still, you know, muddy water floating in it versus not having that at all. Now, let me ask, what, what you hunt a lot of hill country. Mm-hmm. So what would you see as a disadvantage with hunting bottoms compared to, like, say, hill country? Is there any disadvantage that you'd have? Yeah, definitely, because coming from what I usually do, I'm like, oh, man, there's a buck track, bam. Well, he's probably using a lot of this, and that's where I think a lot of people could mess up. They say, oh, there's a buck trail here. Well, that may have just been – that may just be an evening trail. That might just be a – every now and then trail, find where he's going in and out. And I think you could get messed up just focusing on that tracks and all that sign because it does stay there much longer than it would in hill country. Shane, I want to ask you the same thing. Uh, what is, you know, you hunt a lot of hill country as well. What what do you see as a advantage but also a disadvantage when it comes to hunting river bottoms? Well, the I mean, the advantage is, you like you said, the sign is, is more readily readable. Like you can read the sign easier. The disadvantage is there's nothing in a river bottom. There's no swirling wind for a buck to go seek out. So you have to find those little intricate like habitat edges and things like that that they seek out, the thicker cover. Whereas like in the hill country, a buck will go seek out an area where the thermals are doing this at a certain time when he can take advantage of it. Or there's swirling winds in a certain like thermal hub, and he'll hang out in that because he can feel safe. Whereas you're on the river bottoms, that doesn't really exist, and the only thing you got to go on is like the habitat itself and wind direction. To me, 
So that's a disadvantage of it is you don't have really that to play off of, that advantage of thinking, well, I can go find somewhere where he's going to hang out in. So it's it's got a lot more to do. You, you probably got to cover it, – it sounds backward, but you probably got to cover a lot more ground in river bottoms than you would think you could in the mountains because in the mountains you can go hit certain areas and you can just eliminate like whole areas that there's not going to be a buck in because it's either wide open timber – or they're just not going to travel through it. And here, they can travel anywhere. You know, if it's walkable by us, it's walkable by them. And so, water doesn't. And water doesn't affect them one bit. No. Yeah. Uh, I think, uh, again, we got a couple of people behind the camera that doesn't have, don't have mics, but uh, Miles is over here. And he was talking about, you know, just – one of his but or one of his cousins duck hunter like seeing deer swimming like just like across one of these big creeks and everything and it's like the more and more duck hunters i talk to it's like the way they describe like buck encounters it's like almost like they're aquatic yeah. like, every time they're in the water like they got decoys out the bucks swim through the decoy spread they're <laughs> you know slipping out the edge of a slough you know in you know two feet of water or whatever mm-hmm. or swimming across a slough or swimming across a, a creek and it kind of takes a consideration like when you talk to like more duck hunters of like where and when they see bucks, it's like they're in the water typically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah it's like yeah. yeah. I mean, it was like today everywhere that I seen, like I thought I'll get on dry up dry patch, and that's got to be where they're at. And all the trails are just right along the edge, right in the mud, you know. And when you get on that dry patch, there's like there's nothing, you know. Like that one that the the buck that I did end up jumping went to a little dry patch. But, I mean, it wasn't no bigger than where we're sitting right here, and everything around it was just flooded out, you know, knee-deep water, you know. Did you so, jump a buck today? Yeah. That big one that was in the field. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, ended up. Starts a message no thread. Okay. Doesn't oh, yeah, partake in the message yeah, I, thread. I don't remember, I don't remember <laughs> seeing that message. I just remember yeah. him saying, hey, there's a big deer here. So yeah. No, like, I, ended up, I ended up going and getting something to eat, coming back, after I'd seen him crossing the field. And I was like, he, ain't got, he doesn't have any options to really go anywhere else. Like he's kind of pinned in that one area, unless he wanted to swim across the river. And I didn't figure that was an option. Seems how he's got a doe with him. You know, he's trying to push her into one area. So I ended up walking back down in there like an hour later, and he was on the only like patch of dry. Well, he wasn't. He was. He was standing in the water, but he had her pushed up on a dry patch. I'm assuming because she blew out the one way and he went the other way. Interesting. Yeah. All right, Chris, I got to ask you, um, advantages, disadvantages for hunting river bottoms. Well, it's interesting hearing everybody talk about this because back home, everything I'm hunting is pretty tight and it's actually sets up a lot more like hill country. So it's a, I actually don't find any disadvantages other than the work you have to do to access in and out, portaging and stuff like that. It sucks, but... I mean, you can literally control your thermals. Nothing can see or smell you. You can get in and get out, and you can generally read how the buck's going to use a drainage ditch or a secondary slope or whatever to to come down across the river, whatever he's going to do. Here, I'd have to agree 100%. Like, it's like like talking to Dan Enfold or something, hunting the marshes. Um, I'm learning a completely different way of thinking about thermodynamics down here. I can feel my thermals pulling to the water in the evening. Um, Just all the different little intricacies like that. If you don't know that right away and don't know to pay attention to that, which a lot still don't, 
that'd be a huge disadvantage. I talked to somebody who hunts this religiously, and and he said that that, and he's hunted this for twenty five years. And he said that, uh, and this is why I think I'm seeing so many tracks around the around the water, is because those thermals, the water is pulling that thermal, and that's where the deer naturally are. And he said, if you see tracks away from the water, he said, you can guarantee that's at night. If it's anywhere away from the water, he said, you can just about bank on it that it's nighttime. And he said, but everything around the water is, is pretty much going to be your daytime travel. Do you think that is the juice of the podcast, ladies and gentlemen? <laughs> you think I, that's I mean, me, of... that's somebody that's hunted it for, <laughs> and I had no clue he hunted it. And he's like, oh, yeah, where are you going? I was like, I'm going here. He's like, well, I've hunted that for 25 years. This is what they do. That light bulb yeah. went off in yeah. my head, and then you literally said it. I'm Why like, are we just now? Oh, yeah, what are you doing? Why'd you, you didn't put that in the group message. <laughs> I just learned it last night. That's why I came up here. Three days ago, Shane. Yeah. Do you think yeah, that's kind of like, like that a, was like literally 12 hour ago? Like kind of like a side of a ridge thing in hill country is kind of what they're doing on the side of the water. Uh, the same the, concept. The top third yeah. of the ridge catching the thermals. Same. Yeah. Same he, exact thing. That's what he said. It's just those big pockets of water. Just pulls the thermals right into it, and they just they just hang around it, you know. It, and that's where I've seen, you know, the deer it was, today. It was crazy too, because you know, trying to relate things to hill country as best I can, because it's really kind of all I know. Using terrain, sitting in that big draw yesterday. Well, the wind was pushing up it all day long, and I'm like, all right. Well, sun got behind the trees. Right back towards the freaking water. I'm like, geez, old Pete's okay. Here we go. I I got you. <laughs> this is it's a big learning experience for me. I've never hunted a place this big. We don't have we don't have water like this back home at all. Not even close. Michael Pike, I gotta ask you the same question uh before we move on. What's your van what's your thoughts on advantages and disadvantages for hunting river bottoms? Um I'd probably say the you can't really get away from pressure in a river bottom. That's a disadvantage. Yeah. Yeah, because people are willing to go. Um, also, a disadvantage is there are certain places that you can't easily access. Um, it's either not big enough for a kayak or a boat and too deep for a pair of waders. Mm-hmm. So you'd have to pack something in there and set it up. Or, you know, if you did something like a guy, have to drag it a really long ways. Um, so that would be a disadvantage, advantage. Um, it's just easy. I mean, the trails are just laid out everywhere they're going and if you're able to figure out what that trail is going to, you know, you're able to figure out passive travel. So, I don't know. To me, it's like a road map. You just got to figure out, you know, what, I, I don't know, destinations or whatever that each of these little, you know, trails go to. Um, totally different than where I'm hunting right now. Yeah. Real, real quick, this is for everybody here. Um, you talked about the whole trail thing. 
uh, like being easy to kind of see point of travel. And I agree with that. It's just like, it's also like where me and Seth set up today. It's like, there's three trails that weren't 10 feet from each other, paralleling each other. I'm like, what are they doing? Like, why would they take one over the other in this one spot? And it's not like they're necessarily funneled, you know, inside a 30 foot wide area in order to have, you know, three trails, 10 feet wide from each other. Um, but they were, and there's tracks in all of them. And, you know, it's a little, a little complicated there, but does anyone here think like based off what they've seen and experienced as well, are these bucks running a lot of these major trail systems or does it seem like kind of like in Hill country, they, they're kind of running like a, a separate trail kind of off to the side of where you're seeing more of the doe traffic. It's like, yes and no. I think it varies how the terrain lays out or like, well, like, like what I've seen today is there was a bunch of doe tracks here, but I've only seen two bucks in this spot, but the doe tracks were there. The sign was there that does were coming back and forth. However, that one buck did split off from that and didn't go completely through that funnel. So. Here's something too. <clears throat> sometimes when you get those trails that split off, uh, sometimes they can be in feeding areas. You know, you got does that travel, you know, kind of in behind each other. But like whenever you get to like a, a more of like a feeding area, they tend to like branch out and feed around. I, and the only reason I noticed that is because we were um, down in South Alabama and we got that snow that year. And I was able to follow all these tracks. And there was a really, really heavy trail. And then all of a sudden it branched off. And then I was able to see exactly like what they're actually feeding on. Um, but, you know, that would be my guess is one of the reasons why. Maybe different um, different water levels or different bedding sites. I mean, any of that could play in. Shane, yeah, you I mean, Yeah, I mean, it's like the the location that I went in second today and, 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 and I'm going to go in there tomorrow. There's a big swamp right in the middle of it, and it's like there's just fingers of trails coming out of that swamp. And they're going. You, I can see tracks going in and out, in and out, in and out. And the same thing with all the rubs. The rubs are going in and out of it. So it's like it's like he said, like Michael said about. It's, it's almost like those deer know those areas that nobody can go into, and they're the swampiest, nastiest stuff that there is. So instead of looking at it like when you hunt this area or hunt an area like this, instead of looking for like that thick cover, you're almost looking for like the, the, the areas where you can't get a boat or you can't get in with waders. Those are the areas that I think are holding the deer. And it's not so much the thick, thick cover that's holding them. It's like, I could see through that swamp, but it's just so big that I can't see all the way through it and I can't get into it. But they can. I mean, they have no problem getting in there. And there may be a little high spot somewhere in there. It's just like marsh hunting. Like, there's just these probably little pockets where they can go seek out and lay down and bed in. But unless you're walking through that, you're not going to know it, you know. So I think instead of looking at it like, oh, i got to find a, you know, a real thick area where they're going to bed up into, it's, it's probably going to be those swampy areas like a marsh or something Tough like that. Tough to access, It's going to be really hard to access for anybody you're not going to walk through it. You can't pull a boat through it, and that's probably where your bucks and your, you know, most of your does are at. Now I'm trying to think of examples of stuff I've ran into that was set up like that from this from this hunt. Uh, that's a, that's an interesting point. It's kind of like uh, so 
a past guest that we had on, had on by the time this episode came out or has come out, it's been you know a few weeks ago. Uh, Jacob Leishan, Greg, you just mentioned him earlier in the episode. Um, he mentioned on some of his public hunts in, in uh, North Carolina, he hunts a lot of river bottom stuff and like these big open river bottoms. And he's like, it's a transitional area where they're kind of going from thick cover to thick cover and they'll kind of go through these bottoms. But also at certain times of the year, they'll bed in those bottoms in like little isolated cover where like they can see you coming from a long ways away. You can't see them, but they can, that buck can see you. Mm-hmm. And it makes it super hard to try to go and kill him with a bow because, you know, he can see through 500 yards of wide open timber. But he's just bedding like a blow down the brush top, something like that. So the only time you'd see him maybe is if he jumped up and maybe you get a glimpse of him. But more than likely, he's going to slip out the backside before you ever, you know, get close enough to lay eyes on him. Yeah. Like I found beds today, and that's the only place I'd found beds was in just like wide open. Like there was, I mean, it was like grass that was like less than knee high, and it was just open. And, that's the only place I found, like, I know that's a buck bed, you know, like I could see it there. And, I, and looking back at it, when I walked up, like, he's just off the side of where he made a rub line. And he had a bed right there but with a log back up against his back. But behind that was a big open field. So he could sit there with, like, 25 feet between him and the field and look out over the, you know, he could see 300 yards in front of him all the way to a road, the access, the only access in there. So... You know, he probably was laying there when I walked in. You know, that's a good point because that's yeah. one thing I noticed about a disadvantage to flatland is I feel really naked out there because there's nothing to hide <laughs> yeah. me. I mean, you can see at least 200, 100 yards at all times, and there's no breakup. You run your white light, they're seeing it for no telling how long. There's a 500 yard long field. Speak about the white light. Me and Seth had a situation. We set up this morning in this tree, and we're getting it, and we got in. It took us a little bit longer getting this gigantic red oak than I thought it would. And uh, we finally get all hung up. It's gray light now. And all of a sudden, I see truck lights. And I'm like, there ain't a road. It looks like this truck was 100 yards from us. And there was not a road anywhere close to that distance. There was a road further than that, probably three, 350 yards. And you could see it like plain as days, pulling a, pulling it like a utility trailer. And you could see the whole thing. And I'm like, are we sitting? Like, am I like? Messed up on the maps, like looking at Onyx, I'm like, there's no way. But you could see the light all the way through. But when the sun came up, you know, when it was, you know, got good light, there was enough like obstruction. Like, I can't see that far, but you could see light that far. Um, and yeah. it, it threw me. I, I, dude, I was looking over there. I'm like, I'm like, did we set up right next to someone's driveway that I can't see on the map? <laughs> but no, it's like just the light would penetrate so far through that cover. But when the sun came up, it's like, I couldn't see, you know, you could see maybe 100 yards through some of that stuff. But we're, you know, 20 foot of a tree, but when you get on the ground, I can't see 50 yards. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of interesting. Town you brought that up. I've walked up on two deer though in the dark here, um, with the green light, whether you know, you use white, green, whatever. But that, that's what I had on, and one was bedded under my tree when I got there, um, one morning. And then yesterday evening, I pushed a little too far past the spot that I talked to you about for like two days, knew I should hunt it. Went past it and it kind of looked okay. And I hunted, didn't see anything. And then when I was walking out, there was literally a deer standing in the swamp. He, I stopped because my phone buzzed and he was 10 yards from me. And he, he was probably going to let me walk by, honestly, because I was kind of shooting down this little road and he went tearing through the water. And should have hunted there. So then I hunted there today and just saw three does. So. It happens. Absolutely. Real quick, uh, we're going to get to a point here wrapping up, but we got to talk about some camp uh, shenanigans. Uh, Greg, talk to us about firewood here. Actually, maybe Michael Pike should talk to us about firewood. (laughs) Well, so we showed up 
I bought, you know, I talked to Jacob before I came. I was like, should I get some firewood? He said, yeah, everyone can just bring some firewood. Well, I didn't bring any. So I bought some at the camp store. We could barely get it to light. And Jacob says, well, I've got a box that I've, that's uh, been seasoned for two years. So we tried with some of that. Um, Jacob Emery will tell you it didn't work. We tried all. We what do you find, mean it didn't work? Well, we had to blow on it about every minute. Everything we could find, we we tried to put on it. So then the next night, Chris was here. No, the next night was just me and you. It was uh-huh. the same deal. We had some ashes and some coals already started. Some maybe dried out logs. Most of them would sizzle. Third night was kind of the same deal when Chris Chris got here. And then last night, um, they even went to buy firewood halfway through the fire. We had a fire. What was the log you put on there? <clears throat> the fire log? Like yeah. The, the, it's this, some fire started from so, like Walmart. So it's now. supposed to burn for three hours. Yeah. It, it burned for two or three hours with our wood on top of it, but literally our wood would still not burn. <laughs> it was just caving it out where the other was burning under it. So. Yeah. Miles said he got some wood, so maybe we'll find out. Yeah. yeah. Then we actually had to resort to him putting his fan yeah, on the fire to keep it, it lit. And that that <laughs> yeah. kept us warm, but that wood just burned down so fast. Yeah. Pike, what's your take? Yeah, that was a hot mess. <laughs> we yeah. were surprised the Sound gas like station was. Mess. Did you go to the? <laughs> yeah, he said he said season. I'm pretty sure it was soaking. Yeah. See, this was soaking sizzled. in water for two years. Yeah, I said I could have went out there in the lake and grabbed a <laughs> grabbed a log that had been there and it would have burned faster than what he, he brought us. Seasoned with like um, Italian seasoning. <laughs> yeah, or yeah, ranch or something. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Oh, man. Yeah. So did you find firewood at a gas station? When you, because that was like it was it was, was, was nine thirty ten o'clock. Oh, the very last bundle, and I swear, each one of those things weighed five pounds. Yeah, that was heavy. They were yeah. waterlogged. Yeah, yeah. waterlogged. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. You bought cypress. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got some. De- you get some. Uh, what do they call it? driftwood out of the, out, yeah. out of the river. I said it's got to be better than what he's got. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you put the fan to it, it, it actually worked. Because a couple of fires we had, it literally it was like. There was no, there was no flame come off. It was just like red coal, and like we're just like, this is where it's twenty eight degrees outside. We're like, this sucks. Like, well, I think it one was, night we didn't even do a fire. Or like, well, it was, it was weird because it would be burning pretty good, a small fire, but we burning pretty good. And we, we start messing with something because it took Jacob about three hours Greg, to unload his truck. Greg. That and, was only and, because the pine calls we yeah. were throwing on there. Well, <laughs> I'm talking about the previous nights. It would burn for for a while, and we would turn around and look, and it was just no flame. Yeah. So we'd have to go start. Blowing in again, throwing pine needles, pine cones on it. Yeah, I said what we needed is a uh, leaf blower. And then uh, somebody said, Jacob's got a fan. And yeah. so we brought it over there. And, man, it, it I mean, it did, it did Magnificent good. fire. I said uh, it, it's probably going to just dry the wood out before it, <laughs> before it actually caught on fire. Yeah. <laughs> I got to say, I, I didn't expect my coldest night of any state I've camped in. Well, you're also to be the deep so. south, uh, Campton, Nebraska, Wyoming, freaking Colorado, and the coldest night of camping I've ever had was right here. Roll Tide. Roll Tide. Ah, yes, sir. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Chris, yeah, Chris, that was so funny. I get in the tent last night, and Chris rolls over. He's, like, been in the tent for, like, 10, 15 minutes, and he's like, how cold is it supposed to get tonight? I'm like, 25. He's like. I can't believe the coldest night I've ever camped, temperature-wise, is in Alabama. <laughs> and he nuts, just rolls man. back over and goes yeah. to sleep. I had my I had my bibs and everything on last night. I wasn't <laughs> screwing around. 
<laughs> we were making sure we were staying warm, and I stayed warm. Yeah. Me too. You oh, didn't have a sleeping yeah, bag. Yeah, 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 Talon had a sleep in his truck with just his camo on. You didn't have yeah. a sleeping bag? No, I forgot at the house. <laughs> you were wow, that's what you meant by not being prepared. Oh my god. Yeah. See my body was fine, but like twelve o'clock my toes. My, <laughs> my toes got cold, so I wrapped my puffy around it in my car jacket. Good the rest of the night. <laughs> at least y'all got that. Mine's still in storage, all of mine. I'm just Rolling with nothing. I won't do it again. Yeah. We all got beds tonight. <laughs> well, yeah, we do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, back to the air mattress we go, baby. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fun. Um, anybody got uh, any kind of final thoughts on the trip or anything? Uh, I think it's been pretty fun. It's but fun. Uh, uh, you know, as of the time of recording, you know, some of us will be hunting a couple more days. Chris, you leave out tomorrow. Yeah. Greg, you leave out tomorrow. So last little hoorah for you guys. Um, any final thoughts from you two? I think we're going to go surround that deer that Shane saw. I was thinking yeah, about it. Let's go wolf packing, dude. He's not, he's not going back <laughs> in there, so we're yeah. just going to go surround y'all go, it. Morning. Y'all go kill that one. Okay. Hey, y'all just slick. Yeah. Y'all just get down through there, and I'll just run through there. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he'll, he'll I can't see all because he's tagged out. He, you know, you'll yeah. take your arrow Archery in deer there drive. and it. I'll help out the drive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, awesome. Well, sweet. Well, uh, it's been a fun trip. Uh, I, I'm excited to kind of see – if anything we've learned tonight, especially with Shane talking about the bucks are running towards the water and staying towards the water, maybe we just all sit on the, on the riverbank and uh, see if we kill one in the morning. Yeah, I don't think that's going to work for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, you just go scout for us. Yeah. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, where you're going to be at. It's not like yeah. that at yeah, all. No water. No water. No water. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. No deer either. <laughs> <laughs> I don't start seeing deer until I get to the bottom of the at mountain. At least, at least you're seeing them. You hey, know. I went, I went uh, down to pull my cell cam, mm-hmm. and uh, I get to the bottom. I, I hadn't seen anything all day long. I get down there, and I've already seen three deer out in the wide open. I was like, I've only been down here for an hour, and I got to head back up to the mountain for a couple more days before I see that amount of deer. <laughs> well, you know, we're not jealous, so. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but did you have to, real quick, did you have to wear waders to go get the camera? Uh, no, I, but I do have one boot that's soaking wet, <laughs> <laughs> but it's only because the back end, evidently I walked them off kind of like this right here. Oh, nice. Yeah. It just, yeah. So it's leaking. All right. Cool. Awesome. Well, appreciate everybody listening to the podcast. Appreciate everybody watching the podcast over on YouTube. Uh, thank you guys for joining and, uh, listen for having us. We got some deer to hopefully kill. We need some wood to knock on and, uh, Make something happen. There you go, Shane. Shane. Shane will probably shoot one of them more. Let's just be honest no, here. I mean, I'll miss another one probably. Well, you know, someone's got to scare one <laughs> to death. It, you, yeah. you shoot at it enough, you might scare it to yeah. death. I might. <laughs> That's a possibility. <laughs> but uh, anyways, appreciate everybody joining the podcast, and uh, we'll catch you all back on the next episode from the Southern Outdoors. And remember, guys, y'all stay safe. You guys seem to really have enjoyed over the last year where we've went to a Q&A format every Thursday on the show where we answer some listener questions. Now, some of the most common ones that we get have to do with gear, but also how to find a good hunting buddy. You know, I'm really lucky to, to have a hunting buddy like Jacob 
We've been on a lot of incredible hunting trips together over the years. And it's just nice to have somebody that, you know, is always down to go on that that trip that you've always wanted to go on or, or who will wake up at three o'clock in the morning and go get that gate before someone else does on public land with you, whatever the case may be. And like I said, we get a lot of questions on how do you find, you know, a group of people who enjoy that same thing so you can kind of network and make some connections. The Mobile Hunters Expo is the place to do that. Y'all heard us talk about it last year. And guess what? This year it's happening in Dalton, Georgia. We're going to be there June 28th through the 30th. We're going to be there all three days. We're going to have a booth. You can come talk to us. We talked to a lot of you guys last year, had a ton of fun. So looking forward to that again. But guys, I'm telling you, this is the place to come network. And there's going to be a ton of you guys there. A lot of Southern Outdoorsman podcast listeners are going to be at this show. And actually, Friday, June 28th, there's going to be an after-hour social after the expo. So what better place to go kind of intermingle, hang out with a bunch of like-minded people, and probably pick up a couple new hunting buddies. So you guys don't miss it. It's June 28th through the 30th. I'm telling you, if you listen to this podcast, this is an event you need to be at. Now we'll see you guys at the Mobile Hunters Expo June 28th through the 30th in Dalton, Georgia.